0: It's kind of a short history of beer, in fact, in Arizona. I mean, if you really think about it. It is. About a hundred and something years.
1: It was. There was a lot of breweries um, in the 1870s and 80s in Arizona. Most of the small mining towns had one little brewery. All
2: right, so we're here at McFate South. Uh, on North Scottsdale Road, which is kind of confusing, right? Fate South, North Scottsdale Road. <laughs> the big location. We're in the private room here. Uh, this is the first time I've been in here. You guys?
0: No, I've never been here. No? I've
2: been here once. Okay. Yeah. yeah. it's. I've walked past it a few times and reached out to Steve, and I'm like, hey, here's where we're going to do this interview, and he said, come on down. So hopefully Steve might might join us, which reminds me, I probably should have plugged in that other mic. If he comes, I will. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I've got um, Scott Keys. Uh, he is my co-host today. Scott is from. Beers I and am. Uh,
0: we. Uh, I run a core run with my friend Aaron Forster. Um, uh, kind of an online presence known as Beers and Buddies. Uh, we uh, do a lot of things that a lot of folks do. You know, images of our beer, and we highlight beers, and we talk about beers. But uh, we also have a YouTube channel and just. Uh, just recently, as of in fact tomorrow, we're going to be starting off on some new new ventures with our videos and kind of what we're doing. So um, check us out. You can get us on Instagram, YouTube. Uh, it's Beers In Buddies with an N, not an and. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's super cool. So a little shameless plug there, but that's me. Oh, well, that's Good why one. I asked. That's yes. why I asked.
2: And you and you you guys are uh, one of the top writers for Arizona Food and Beer as well.
0: Yeah, we do. We yeah. uh, we appreciate you having us write for that. Uh, we love to write. We love beer. Um, as a historian by trade, that's what. What I was trained to do is to write so it gives me an outlet to, to use my training to talk more about beer and educate folks on beer so
2: yeah yeah nice and speaking of history we've got Ed Sipos author of Brewing Arizona
0: Ed. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me here
2: absolutely really fun I, I feel like we've been trying to get this nailed down for quite a while <laughs> yeah it's
1: been gosh over six months, right? Yeah, I oh, think wow. so.
2: And it, and it worked out a few times, and then I had something come up, and then you had something come up, and then it ju- everything just aligned perfectly. Scott, the historian, now joining us, he knows more about history than I do. Um, I'm the beer expert, I guess. Not even expert. I'm the beer enthusiast, I guess. Say? We're <laughs> all <laughs> enthusiasts. We're all beer enthusiasts. <laughs> exactly. That's why we're here. Yeah. So, um, so, Ed, the book, Brewing Arizona, how long ago did you, did you write that?
1: It was... Uh Probably around 1997 when I first got the idea. Okay. Uh, Back then, I became president and editor of the A1 chapter, which is a local brewery collectibles club. Okay. Uh, The national organization is of the Brewery Collectibles Club of America. And when I became editor, I was looking for ideas to put in the newsletter because I needed stuff to write about. And I just, you know, I, I was collecting old. Arizona memorabilia, so I decided I'm gonna do a history in the Arizona Brewing Company. And around that same time I was told about a an estate sale. A friend of mine couldn't go, and he said, You gotta go over here because there's a lot of old beer stuff, you know, for sale over there and stuff. And so I went over there, it turned out it was an auction, and it was a former brewer at G. heileman in Phoenix that had passed away and his wife was selling the estate. What was the brewery called? The G. Heiloman Brewing Company. Oh, okay. High was the last brewery to operate mm-hmm. in Phoenix you know, before they closed it down. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. And okay. it closed in 1985.
0: That was okay. the National Brewery, right? That was the, the National, National Brewery, yeah.
1: Okay. Anyhow, so I went over there and I checked out the auction. There was a ton of stuff. He had his entire library of historical books. I mean, brewing science and all this going back. I think some of the books went back in the early 1900s. Wow. And I acquired a lot of those books. wasn't able to use a lot of them because it was just a different way, but it was yeah. just a neat, thing to have plus there's a lot of old memorabilia and things like that and between all that um at that estate sale i was able to get a lot of phone numbers i met the wife and she gave me phone numbers for a lot of the former brewery employees at the old a1 brewery oh wow so i started cold calling them and just hey you know i'm thinking of doing this story on the history of the arizona brewing company and some of them responded you know wanted to talk other ones Just hung up. Talked to who I could. It was just creepy. Yeah. yeah. Come back later. And 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 I was you know for me cold calling back then it was like I didn't know what the heck I was doing either. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it kind of grew from that. And one day I told somebody I might do a book, and that's that was the end of it.
2: So so it started off as just as the history of one company.
1: Started out the history of one company, and when I completed that. it was a professor a friend of ours at asu i mentioned to her and she said i'd love to read it yeah and i gave her what i had and she read it and she said why don't we go down to U of A and show them what you got and that's what we did and and uh they liked it they yeah. thought it was a little bit too focused on one brewery they wanted to see more okay and i don't know back then if i was quite ready to do that but i was interested in history and i started looking at pre-prohibition side of arizona mm-hmm. yeah started studying that over time did a little writing here and there and and, uh, eventually when I had enough, we went back to U of A and that's when they said, yeah, you know, this is something that we'd like to pursue.
2: Ah, so it was more comprehensive at that point. Yeah. Covering everybody like the full history. And
1: my, you know, I was learning the whole time I was writing too. Yeah. I mean, I was not only learning, um, my writing skills, I was learning how to do research. I was learning a lot of things, Yeah, you know, so it was kind of. It was fun every time you found a little bit of information, You it kind of egged you on to go look a little deeper and find different ways to do research and yeah. and keywords. You know, the internet was also developing.
2: Yeah, this was late 90s, you said? This
1: late 90s, okay. and this is going into the 2000s already, you know, yeah. and um, with that, I mean, it got a little bit easier every time to do research. When I first started back in the late 90s, I was going to libraries doing microfiche. Ah, jeez. That, was, that sounds horrible. Yeah, you found two <laughs> little articles, and it took three hours to find it. Yeah. Know? Just
0: scrolling through oh, all yeah. those. Yeah, that was a fun. Oh,
1: uh, that was and like the
2: dark rooms, keywords. right? Where you had, like, those yeah. slides. And, yeah.
1: You couldn't search keywords. You just no. had to You had to literally scan and hope, you know, you probably missed tons of stuff. Yeah. But late in the game, when my book was already, you know, really developed back in the before it came out, the Library of Congress scanned all those newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So all I had to do was go in there and put keywords. And and there was different ways you could punch it in. You put a last name first, and then you abbreviate the first name or vice versa. Or do, just to see what comes up, you know. And yeah. and it was fun when you found something. I mean, one of the last breweries I found information on was the Flagstaff Brewing Pro- Company in the pre-Prohibition days. Oh. I had no information about that brewery yeah. until... Literally a couple of years or, or less when the book came out. Yeah. So then it was like, oh, I got to put that in. And every time I found some, oh, I got to put that.
2: In. <laughs> Went from 100 pages to like 250, pretty much. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
0: it
1: grew pretty quick. Yeah.
0: That's no, when you get a multi-volume book, though. You right. You multiple books under Yeah. Name, right? Yeah, that's true. And originally,
1: I didn't. I had no um, intent on writing about craft breweries. Oh, really? I thought it would be too much information. I thought, yeah. you know. Just the Arizona Brewing Company and Pre-Prohibition alone, that, that'd be a good stop. Yeah. And U of A wanted to see the other side also. Yeah. And Which I'm glad they did because that opened up whole new doors and, and things. And it really, you know, I, I turned 21 when craft brewing came to Arizona. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, okay. that was 1988. And um, I remember going to Banner Snatch, mm. you know, back then. Yeah. I was learning about beer, you know, yeah. learning to appreciate it. You know, I was like a lot of guys drinking Michelob. But I always liked the little fancier. I, I stuck with Michelob or Heineken. Yeah. I don't know if I ever really liked Heineken, but <laughs> well, it you looked drink cooler it's there, than right? drinking a Budweiser. Yeah, it's yeah. the import. It's yeah. the import. So is, yeah, it's true. But when, when I went to, I remember going to Banner Sachs and trying that beer, and I was like, wow, this is, this is really different. And Sierra Nevada before that, you yeah. know, yeah. Red Hook and all those beers.
2: So that was your and, intro into the craft beer with those. That was getting yeah. me into it. So... So Bandersnatch was one of the first. It was like,
1: is that was that the first craft brewery out here? That was the first brew pub. The brew pub. Ah, interesting. Um, Dave Harvin, Electric Dave. Electric, Daves. Electric yep. Dave's. Okay, I remember that. That was. They a- opened the same year, but. Uh, okay. Yeah. He was the first microbrewery, not not a brew pub. And you've
0: got okay. this fantastic picture in here of his of his brewery, which yeah. is, it just looks like someone put together some garage and threw threw it in there. But you know, I mean. it's it's just so fantastic it demonstrates that you know the road that that breweries have come along the trajectory from the 80s on up to today so
1: yeah i was i was glad to have met dave numerous times and and he's the one that gave me that photograph and some other stuff and he was just such a easygoing guy to chat with and we used to have our for a couple years we had our a1 chapter buy sell trade show at the brewery over there in bisbee yeah and it was a lot of fun so
2: well so scott um speed reader. Are you a speed reader? Because it Um, was impressive how quickly he read this book. I
0: I think I read it in about a day and a half is what I did. Uh, But no, I'm not a speed reader. But there's a a lot of fantastic pictures here. So if this was was 300 pages of all content, I wouldn't have gotten through it that fast. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I was able to read it because once I found out that we were going to do the interview, I was like, well, I got to read the book. I can't show up and not have read the book. So uh, we bought the book. My wife bought the book. And uh, just to just it was just awesome to read because you don't see too many textbooks. I mean, and this isn't a textbook necessarily, but it sort of gave you a broad swath of information about yeah. the history of, of Arizona brewing from its inception, from the early uh, early uh, eighteen hundred. I guess not early, the mid-1800s with Levin Yeah, it was 1863, yeah.
1: 1864. Okay. You know, that's one thing um, about Alex Levine, the guy that opened the brewery in Tucson in 1864. After my book had come out, I found reference to a possible brewery near Yuma that he was operating uh that was even before that yeah uh interesting. but um I can't remember the name of the town right now but it was uh so it shows that he was possibly brewing before that but you know his first commercial where he was selling beer it's obviously was yeah known as Tucson so
2: and that was that was the first like that was the first like I mean because obviously Native Americans were uh, not making beer, but they were, what was, was it? Mes- that was the
1: first German style okay. beer, you know, it gotcha. wasn't, you know, anything else. So yeah. What was before that though? Like what was,
0: the- I mean, prior, prior to, Arizona becoming a territory which it did in fact in 1863 so it's interesting that the brewery opens in 64 because it's literally one year after it becomes a territory yeah Um, I mean prior to this point you have a you have a range of different folks who are living within the region um, whether they're Spanish or native indigene Um, the types of beverages that they would have been making probably would not have been something that was as planned out as you would have seen going on with lemon um, because they were not as agriculturally forward as say those in, in south america or latin america so the aztec or the inca who would have probably had more agriculture would have done more to to sustain a produced style beverage Um, i'm not as in tune with native arizonians as i am with californians because that's where i'm from but i would suspect it's it's very it's somewhat similar
1: yeah they all had their i mean mezcal was one of the principal i think uh alcoholic drinks being drunk and even by the you know the soldiers back then. That's what that was one of their preferred drinks if they can get it. Mescal. Oh yeah. What is that? It's a uh, it's made from the agave plant. Okay. And it's a fermented beverage. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And. Uh, I don't know what the exact alcohol content is, but it was enough to get drunk on. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what mattered. Mission accomplished. <laughs> that's yeah. what mattered. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Does this get you drunk? Yeah, I'll, right, I'll take it. <laughs> but, however, there's some side effects. I don't care. I, I'm looking for the side effects, actually. Uh, so, so then Levine came in, and he brought that, that German-style beer yeah. here.
1: Right. And he was, you know, supposedly brewing lagers and things, which actually would have probably been more of a seasonal, mm-hmm. you would think, yeah. especially yeah, because yeah. of the heat. I had a long conversation with, you know, Dennis Arnold in Tucson from Barrio Brewing Company. And, you know, he surmised that it's, it was probably really difficult to brew a consistent beer, something that was palatable and mm. something that... Because, you know, they were using burlap sacks to keep keep it cold. You oh, know, you basically wow. got it wet. And yeah. hopefully there was a breeze to cool down the beer a little bit. keep yeah. it. And also contamination, you know, you probably... A lot of times had sour beers and things like that. And they probably couldn't afford, you know, with with the limited ingredients they had, they probably couldn't afford to. Oh, this batch came out bad. Let's dump it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you basically were probably served what you got. Right. (laughs) Right. So it was probably really inconsistent. Yeah. Well,
0: And it's fantastic that they continued despite the the lack of resources. I mean, if you take a look at beer and like the South during the colonial era, beer almost died out in the South because they didn't have the ingredients that the English wanted to use. So they just stopped making it and they started Um, making distilled liquors, whiskey, which became popular in the West or Tennessee West. Right. But yet here we find the pioneers, these early folks in in Arizona, despite the fact that they don't have the water that they want, that they don't have the hops and the things that they want. They continue to persist, which, you know, it seems like that, that trend continues on and you're seeing it grow and explode.
1: And they did attempt to grow hops out here. I mean, it was growing in southern Arizona and things like that. How successful? Probably for a small brewery, they probably got enough yield to, to make it work. Yeah. But the next year, who knows? You know, they were probably dependent on good rains just like everybody else was. And, right. And weather and everything.
2: Yeah. Well, and so so you, was it the same out here as far as, like, uh, as, or were, were, were we behind, like, in Arizona? Like, was there things going on on the east coast that were prevalent as far as like beer production
1: well obviously because of ice you know the natural ice in st uh, louis and those big centers that's why they became huge uh, brewing centers makes sense yeah because they didn't have to you know we we had to actually beer by the time the artificial refrigeration came out to arizona most of the breweries had already closed mm. uh, when was that when did the artificial refrigeration it the like 1880s ni- or 80s, 90s yeah okay. 80s, yeah, yeah. That they changed to everything. Double check. Then, at yeah, that point. it changed yeah. everything, and yeah. um, and
0: the railroad. And you, the railroad. You had mentioned the railroad yeah. almost destroyed some of the breweries in well, Arizona. Well, I mean, that's again because
1: St. Louis was able to ship beer. They had, they just filled their trucks with ice, you know, or or the tra- trains and came out here. And by the time the beer got out here, it was still palatable, and yeah. and uh, they were able to sell it. It was probably more consistent beer. It was probably better quality.
2: Yeah, because they've been doing it for a while. They've got yeah. Yeah.
1: They've got all those resources to be able they to had do a lot it, more yeah. resources and,
0: it and was and definitely and a beer. history of of brewing beer out that way um that would have made it that those folks had been doing it for for a long time. Yeah. Um so by the time Arizona started doing I mean the way you describe it it's 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 a very um it's a it's a it's a new it's a novel thing that's going on yeah. and I would say when when it really begins so it's kind of a short history of beer, in fact, in Arizona. I mean, if you really think about it, it is about a hundred and something years. It was.
1: There was a lot of breweries um, in the 1870s and 80s in Arizona. Most of the small mining towns had one little brewer. Yeah. But if you if you look at the dates that they found they were in operation, it was maybe one, two or three years. Hmm. And it could be for a number of different reasons. It could be inconsistent beers. People didn't drink them. Maybe the guy moved on. Who knows why yeah. they closed or whatever. Um, but, you know, surely when the, the beer started getting shipped in, it pretty much eliminated the need for them to brew beer. It was difficult. I mean, you're talking about a place that, you know, prior to the 1880s was very hostile. You know, you couldn't travel without threat of being killed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that was getting shipped around, you know. If they were attacked by Indians or, or whatever, whoever wanted to you know whatever they're carrying, yeah, didn't make it to the location. So yeah, it was definitely difficult times and, and a lot different than today. And then you had disease and everything else. That's, yeah, that came into play. It's not so. the ideal place. <laughs> no, Arizona was a tough, tough place. Yeah. Definitely not.
2: So then early 1900s and before before Prohibition, like was it still kind of the same? Things were just kind of hit or miss breweries
1: opening up closing things like that they, um you know in the 1890s there was some attempts to open up a brewery but i think because of the proliferation of the east coast beers and even from california there was a lot of beers coming from california um a lot of people just didn't find a need to to build a brewery and i think the whole brewing model had been changing by then okay um back in the 1860s 70s 80s out here it was a brewery saloon it's basically yep. what it is today, where you have a local brewery supplying beer to local community. Okay. Yeah. So it's come full circle in a way. Yeah. And um, I think by the by the time the nineteen hundreds started to come, you had larger breweries, and they were more looking at distributing further out. Okay. So you less know, like-,
2: like this this place having a huger range of what they're, of what they're covering. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was easier to travel. I mean, the trains have been developed. Um, It was safer to travel. And so they're able to distribute their beer further out and plus pasteurization, Mm -hmm. ice, everything, you know, helped that. And, you know, a brewery like the Arizona brewing company, which opened in 1904 in Prescott, they were shipping beers into Phoenix and elsewhere. And they still were going by, you know, horse drawn wagon. But they were able to get it out here, and it was still fresh, you right. know. And in in Douglas, it was the Copper City Brewing Company. So between the two, they probably covered most of the state.
2: Okay, so yeah. like you said, there's no need for it. It's not like today where you're just like, dude, I love making beer. Let's have a open up a cool tap room. Back then, you did what you needed to do. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't. Like, there was a yeah. couple
1: of breweries that lasted in the early 1900s. Um, Jorgensen's Brewery in Southern Arizona. Okay over in the Wachuca Mountains, um, it sounds like he was still brewing around up to 1905. Okay. So there's still a market, and, and his original market was more the soldiers in Fort Wachuca and elsewhere. And um, I believe it was the Payson Brewing Company um, that was still brewing for a time. Okay. Into the early 1900s, but they died out, and then the only two left up until Prohibition was in Douglas and Prescott. So. Okay.
2: And what were the styles back then? Like, what were were they pretty basic? Were they lagers? Yeah. I mean, that's they're not doing milkshake IPAs back then. Nope. <laughs>
0: well, I don't. I don't know if we should be doing milkshake IPAs now. But.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was probably okay. your porters, lagers, your ales or, or yeah. lagers, basically. Pretty basic stuff. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And I think uh, even stouts. You know, they were brewing stouts back then.
2: Okay. Yeah. And then what a prohibition. I mean, and, and I even want to kind of explore, because I know a little bit about prohibition, but just like across the country. I mean, that obviously destroyed everything, really, right? Yeah, it, was. it did. It, it.
1: it did.
0: It was at the yeah. thing at the time. Have you read Daniel Okren's book on prohibition? No. In um, well, I think it was in his preface he talks about at the time that prohibition went into place, when the Volstead Act took place, brewing and the alcohol, it's a general role, was about the fifth largest... Sector in the American economy, and it was wiped out. Wow! And then we have a depression. I'm not necessarily saying prohibition caused the depression. There are definitely other reasons for it, but when you wipe out the fifth largest sector of the economy, it's gonna it's gonna have massive damage, um, you know. And what what you described in your book happened in Arizona is really a lot of what happened a lot of places. Yeah. Breweries just couldn't keep up, and they were wiped out. Those who did make it were able to do so by <sighs> making soda, making soap, um, yeah. ice making, cream, making, cream, making ice cream, that. near beer—if they could do it. I mean, I loved the discussion yeah. you had in yeah. here about the fights over near beer. I was like, yeah. that's so ridiculous. You know, point five percent. Well, it's not about. <laughs> Will it get you drunk? Yes. Well, I guess it could if I drink a lot of it, but I get fooled before I <laughs> yeah. could get drunk off of that. So uh, that was you, a fun chapter.
2: What did you dig into on that in the in the book?
1: Well, you know, that when the Arizona Brewing Company decided they're just going to shut down. Yeah. And I actually, later on, it sounds like they did attempt to brew a near beer because they did become a little more lenient on the, Mm -hmm. but Arizona, when the, you know, when the prohibition law was signed, there was zero tolerance. Uh, They wanted to, they wanted to stamp it out completely and they didn't allow even near beer that was brewed in other States. They didn't allow it in Arizona and Copper City decided they're going to test, see how far they would push to test that law, you know? Yeah. So they decided at the stroke of midnight, they're going to, through a, through a saloon that decided to go along with it, sell a near beer. And they did, and sure enough, they got shut down right away, arrested. You know, wow. the brewer eventually got arrested, <laughs> and they went to court over it and everything. And I think, um, you know, it was pretty much let go on, on probably lesser charges. I don't remember what it was exactly. But, but the fact is, is that they wanted to zero tolerance. And later on, I think they kind of eased up on that because you did find ads later on um, near beer being sold in Arizona okay. back in the 20s and even, I don't remember if it was the early 30s or not, but but Prohibition, I mean, the effect in Arizona and, and everywhere, I mean, it was something that, you know, it's called a great experiment the and no, it was a the failure, the basically, the because, you know, it, it was, uh, I think it was something that their intentions you know was more for religious reasons and 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 whatever else people that just saw alcohol as some sort of evil and they figured doing away with it's going to cure everything well they didn't think of the side effects and what would happen you know that's when organized crime came really big that's when people started experimenting with drugs and and other things to kind of fill their needs you know if they were depressed you know you people do things, and, and they started experimenting different ways.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting, too, to note that in Arizona, Prohibition came here before Prohibition actually went into place. So it came yeah. here in 1915. Yeah. Oh, so really? five years before Prohibition actually went into effect, it, it came in Arizona. So there were, in fact, dry states and dry counties before Prohibition happened, but there was a long history going all the way back to the early 1800s when you had the temperance movement, yeah. which failed in its ultimate endeavor. Uh, but generally what you had was a bunch of white middling class women generally speaking who wanted to see people become temperate and in in large measure a lot of that has to do with drinking patterns that emerged at that time because people were moving from beer from cider towards whiskey they were drinking larger, larger quantities of it and of course that has a that has its problems, yeah. of course. <laughs> it's not Absolutely. like drinking one beer. But uh, <laughs> right, but it definitely yeah. it definitely <laughs> made its way and held on. Uh, and then it's not surprising that um, prohibition itself comes about during what we call the progressive era, where people are trying to stamp out the evils of the world and they're trying to address social problems. Well, what social problem is the biggest problem for families? Drunkenness. Uh-huh. Women get the right to vote, and I'm not saying that necessarily that caused prohibition, but it definitely did help. Uh, but, it uh, helped it, their cause. To yeah, it is interesting about. to note, and you do note in the book that 1915, and I wasn't aware of that until I read your mm-hmm. book that, that that had happened uh, here that that early.
2: Wow. So and then and then that that lasted until what 33? 33. 33. Yeah. 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 So wow. So almost my math is terrible. 18 it's about years. 13
0: years.
1: 18, okay. And yeah. then you notice again. I mean, you know, who knows if the de- depression the great depression would have been as bad as it was if Mm. alcohol was still allowed yeah you know you don't know that but I'm sure like you said it had a big impact on you know the lack you know taking away jobs from people and and creating that economy you know yeah and once it went away you know things started to kind of normalize again and yeah jobs were created
2: well, it's crazy is like, I mean, right now, I mean, it's around, it's been about a hundred years at this point. And now you're mm-hmm. seeing cities like, um, like Flagstaff who they named, you know, it's a leading craft beer city. And the mayor named, you know, February as craft beer month because she sees the benefit of craft beer and yeah. that it, it creates jobs and has that great community. So it's crazy. A hundred years later, it's the completely opposite View. I'm not saying that was everybody's view back then, but just that the idea of prohibition compared to what it is now. Yeah. C- completely flipped.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, in my point of view, I guess, being a craft beer lover and stuff. And I think prior to craft beer, you know, people drank, you know, that's why Anheuser-Busch and those breweries, you know, people were drinking not just one or two beers and being happy. Yeah. They were drinking...
0: Twelve packs, twelve tw- packs, twenty packs. Yeah. Oh, I
2: was yeah. I was gonna say I've I've got buddies that would knock down a, a thirty pack between two of them in a few hours, yeah. <laughs> like Miller Light or something. Yeah.
1: And uh. you could go. I mean, I could go. I could come on one night and have one beer and be happy, and I'm satisfied. And yeah. it's you know might be a little bit higher in alcohol, it might be whatever, but it's it it's nice. It's enough.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: And and you get and today, I mean, the with the the way crappers are producing beers, I mean, the level is way above what it was. Even fifteen years ago. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. W- before we dig into that, though, let's let's go to like post prohibition. So yeah. pro- prohibition is is repealed. Um, so then, what happens in Arizona from there? Just bigger breweries start opening back up.
1: Well, there was there was a number of attempts that you saw of people wanting to possibly open a brewery. Okay. And all of them failed. Nobody opened one. The only one that uh, that succeeded was Arizona Brewing mm-hmm. Company. There was a brewery called Tri-State Brewing. Um, company in Glendale. They got pretty far along. and for whatever reason, they ended up closing up. okay. And I never really found a re- exact reason why, but um, and then the another one was in Tucson Southwestern Brewing Company. and they tried to sell shares to gain capital to open the brewery. Again, they never happened. And yeah. the Arizona Brewing company came, came along. They were kind of under the radar because by the time you saw their first ads in the newspapers, they already announced the date of opening.
2: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that means that they were already in the process of brewing and getting things prepared to sell and, and things. And um, it was a couple of brothers called the Fencer Brothers and Martin and Herman Fenster. And, and they opened it up in 1933 and, and introduced uh, Arizona Brew Beer is what they called it. Um, right before they sold they came out with a name-the-beer contest, and it was Sunbrew. And that's oh, the one that Four Peaks, you know, took on. Now they had to change it a little bit in order because that name was, I guess, taken or something.
2: Oh, so it wasn't like they continued on, like they... they.
1: No, that, okay. that beer was probably, I think it was produced... Actually, I found a label that had a war stamp on it, which tells me that it was brewed into the early 1940s. Okay. Maybe up to 1942. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, there was a few different owners uh, that came in prior to the 1940s. And um succeeded in continuing the brewery and move forward um, the one that had the I guess the hardest time was Robert Elder when he came in, in mm. was in 1930 1938 I believe around there okay 37. and uh, he introduced distribution to the brewery because he that was his background his distribution liquor and beer and everything. yeah so he kind of branched out into something that maybe took, the company a little bit too far and put money into and things like that. They opened up a branch in Tucson and that ended up taking the brewery and him into bankruptcy. Oh, wow. Okay. And so he had to, the the brewery went into receivership in 1942. It was, it was operated by a trustee for a short time. And then um, uh, Joe Lancer came in and he was in the grain business, which actually benefited him really well during the war because he had a lot of connections for grain where a lot of breweries didn't have that oh, gotcha. and when the war came along there was a lot of you know they they were short the amount of grain they can use for because it went into war efforts and things yeah. like that so it helped yeah. him a lot helped the you know the Arizona Brewing Company and he's the one that introduced say one beer and Eventually became the best-selling beer in the state for a time. Okay,
0: and that's a as an interesting note with that, and, and I have a question for you because I had a specific sure. a specific point with the elder years of the uh, Arizona Brewing Company. But it was in World War II that uh, the Brewers Association of America (BAA) uh, was created because they were having a tin shortage, and so they were trying to create yeah. an organization. And that eventually merged with the AOB, which then created BA. Uh, wow. So that's sort of where where you get that as well. Um, just that stuff floats through my head, so I hope But here is a question I, I had asked because you, I really enjoyed the section mm-hmm. on the Arizona Brewing Company. Um, I, I, for me, it was the most m- enjoyable part of the whole book. I really liked the way you painted that out, and I really enjoyed the elder years because you really begin to talk about um, advertising yeah. uh, and yeah. the, the understanding that it's not just about beer. Right. But one of the things that you that you mentioned in here was that A one was judged, quote, judged the best in the nineteen fifties and nineteen fifty-five, and fifty percent of Arizona beer drinkers said A one was the best beer. And my question was, because I remember, um, I think it was in the the late eighties, maybe it was the early nineties, when Samuel Adams won. Um, best of show three years in a row Mm -hmm. and it got a lot of controversy by people because he was a contracting brewery. He didn't have his own brewery. So my question was, was A1 voted the best because it was the best or was it because of their advertising do you think? I mean, much in the same way that Samuel Adams was able to advertise things you know, to what degree did that advertising thing contribute to people's wanting to drink A1 beer? I mean, 50% of the population is a significant percent.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I talked to uh, actually at the time when some of these people that worked at the brewery, I asked them about that, about, you know, that it was a judge of the finest campaign. Yeah. And, um, I think it was beginning in the 1951 or 52 where they, they had the judge of the finest and they had a medal every year they were winning these medals, yeah, international medals. And, um, I think what it comes down to was a really good advertising ploy. <laughs> yeah. And because were they really winning these awards? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But, but I mean, I'm sure that there was that event taking place. But yeah. how much of it was
0: advertising right. or an actual, I don't know.
2: Like a certified judge type, yeah. of, type yeah. of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I just uh, I thought that was such an interesting thing that was judged the best and they were able to use it. I mean, they put yeah. it on the packaging, right? And yeah. it's just it was like, wow,
1: okay. There was another brewery, um, you know, they have that, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if I have it in the book, that tin sign with a target and it says Judge the Finest has the medals." It might be in there. I can't remember. Somewhere. But there was another brewery <laughs> that used that same exact format sign with, with their medals. Ah, interesting. Like did, a template. Did they yes, get in trouble? Yeah. No, no. I, um, not that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was their bottle and their you know right but
2: well so the, the had anything significant happened from that from that time period because it seemed like up to this point um, a one was well or uh, Arizona Brewing Company was that's the most significant place that opened basically.
1: it was it was the only brewery that operated from nineteen thirty three into eighty five okay in in Arizona yeah um, there was no attempts that I know of that I ever read about of anybody else coming in.
2: Oh, really? So it was just them for yeah. that time period? Right. Wow, yeah. okay.
1: And that's the whole different, you know, the whole different, the big brewery model where you didn't have to have localized breweries in cities. Now you could have one big brewery that can operate regionally. Yeah. And they can sell their beer, you know, to the, all the surrounding states or at least part of the states. Yeah. And, and it was good enough for them, you know.
2: Did they have a range? Did they have a range of different styles that they did? Because I know you said the A1 was a Pilsner, right?
1: They had A1 Pilsner. They had A1 Ale. They had a Bach. Okay. Um, Later on, they came out with it back in the 60s. Before they closed, they came out with a beer called Oberheit, which is European style. Okay. They wanted to make more of a premium style beer. Um, I think that was because at that time, they were really – they changed the recipe to A1. They changed the name to Lancers in the early sixties because light beer was becoming mm-hmm. more favorable. It was becoming more popular. And I think that was a way to still keep something out there that was, but it never really succeeded much. And okay. the brewery ended up selling in 64 to Carling. Okay. And that was, you know, I, one of the things that, um, Ben Kalinowski, who was a former brewer. He came from Baltimore to national and Phoenix. And he told me, you know, it was back then. The whole idea was that you had to become bigger in order to succeed if you weren't striving to become the biggest brewery you know the breweries weren't going to be as successful Uh, and that's part of the reason that carling started buying out these smaller breweries and their downfall was that these smaller breweries were aging breweries that had aging equipment cost a lot to keep up and National did the same mistake. You know, they were buying out smaller breweries. In order to grow fast, they wanted to gobble up all these breweries. And that's when you had consolidation on all these small breweries disappearing across the country. Interesting. anheuser Bush, everybody else was doing it, gobbling up these breweries.
0: Yeah, in fact, I wrote here... I said between 1949 through 58, and this is based on page 131 in your book, that some 185 regional breweries closed or sold out to national corporations or what I would call macro breweries today. Yep. And I didn't realize that that happened that early on. And I'm interested to know, do you, do you see there being a parallel between what was going on then and what's going on now with people like AB InBev and Miller Coors and their acquisitions? I mean, we can look at Twin Peaks, you can look at Ballast Point, you can look at Grey, uh, uh, Goose Island, not Grey Goose, that's vodka. Sorry, Goose (laughs) Island.
1: I think today it's different. I mean, back then what you had was a lot of these big breweries buying these small breweries, but they weren't respecting what these people were producing back then. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of took on the brand and made it their own. Sometimes they discontinued the brands or whatever and, and started producing their beer. You know, when Carlin came to Phoenix, they completely um, disregarded A1 beer, which was still a regional, local beer. Um, even though the recipe had been changed by then, um, yeah, they, they still produce A1 beer, and yeah, they kind of tried to keep that Arizona tie, but they came in and they wanted to market Black Label. They wanted to make that the, their number one selling beer. And the problem was that Black Label at the time was not a lighter beer. It, wasn't, uh, it didn't really fit the, the area, the market, and their sales weren't doing very well. Okay. So within two years, Carling decided to pack it up and leave. And that's when National came in. National mm-hmm. came in and, and brought the A one brand a little bit more, you know, to the forefront. Yeah. Uh, they started sponsoring Phoenix Suns and the Roadrunner hockey team and things like that to bring a little bit more of the local feel to the beer. Yeah. But um I think I got sidetracked. What was the original? Oh, I just asked if you <laughs> saw parallels between I think it was good.
0: between between the mergers of the fifties and, and what's taking place today.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, you know, like I said, the disrespect for the brand, um, not basically paying attention to what they were doing. They were yeah. changing it to fit what they wanted. Sure. And today, I think Anheuser-Busch, you know, Anheuser-Busch has been historically known as the, they will the stamp out anybody that gets in their way. Yeah. I'll, I mean, this is going back into the late 1800s. You know, they were fearless. They took everybody to court and everything. And, and um, I think today, I think they've kind of learned... You know, you look at Goose Island and you look at some of the other breweries they bought out. That they're still letting them do their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Four Peaks is still doing their thing. You go to Four Peaks, you really don't notice that there's any big change. Right. Um, the benefits they got is the their grain allotments and everything else that they have access to, and
0: and um, and obviously money. Yeah. 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 So, do you see that as like a? And I don't mean to digress, but do you know. see that as a positive move? Not
1: necessarily. Yeah. You know, I don't think. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of big beer coming in and buying out little beer, little guys. Um, I think it depends. I mean, it's good for the people that sold out, I guess. You know, sure. if, if you're a... You figure the average family business lasts, what, 20-something years? So for them, it was probably a good thing, but for... And it still kept jobs. It wasn't like yeah. they closed or anything. Yeah. And it may be expanded in some ways for them.
0: Well, I mean, I, if you... If you I don't know, because it's it's a California-based brewery, but Ballast Point, when they sold, they got a billion dollars. The guy yeah. took home a billion dollars, and since then, Ballast Point has just exploded. I don't know if you guys... I'm yeah. assuming you get it out here. They're oh, yeah. building a brand-new brewery out, out east coast. Yeah, it's just, for me, it's one of those topics that I get, like ridiculously baby too passionate about. We actually wrote a, an article for, um, yeah. for AZ for the Beer about, about the independent craft beer sticker, the BA sticker, yeah. whether or not this is a good thing. And Aaron and I uh, have gone back, and again, Aaron's my partner at Beers and Buddies, but we've gone back multiple times about, well, what's a craft brewery? What's a microbrewery? What's an artisanal brewery? Should these names matter? Do they matter? Yeah. And, and who do they matter to? Yeah. Um, and there was multiple times in your book where you were talking about like Cooper City, going to war with, Aunt, with, with Budweiser and, and various things. And I'm just like, the story hasn't changed. We're all we're just still here doing this. <laughs> yeah. I, I think
1: the difference today is that um, when a brewery like Four Peaks or somebody sells out, they lose that little edginess they had. Yeah, You know, where the, the, the true beer geek will completely shun them now. The average beer drinker that doesn't care where their beer comes from, you know, they just like a good tasting beer. They'll continue going to them, Sure. Yeah. and that's probably the larger percentage of people, right? Absolutely, yeah. And but the thing is, when you go, like, I notice a, an immediate change when you go to the Strong Beer Festival or something. Four Peaks used to have this huge booth with you know huge lines, and today you go over there and they're they don't you know they lost that they lost that that edge that they had of people wanting to go oh, over there and see yeah. what they had. Yeah, that's just a perception that I you know something yeah. I noticed. Sure. And um, so I think a lot of breweries that sell out end up going through that. I mean, you look at Alpine Beer Company.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, there's and, a whole thing with Green Flash, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they just bit the dust, yeah. sort of. Yeah. They're not
1: up yeah. there like they used to be. You don't no. hear, you know, anything. Yeah. And the little guys today, you know, Red House and Arizona Wilderness and them, and they've got that little edginess, and they're doing things different. They're producing new beers every couple of weeks and coming out with something different. I think that's where it's at. You know, I th- that's the local model that I think is going to be the future of mm. the small breweries, in my opinion. Yeah. You yeah. know.
0: And I think that that kind of edginess helps to explain why there's now like six thousand breweries. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's the most the United States has ever had. Yeah. Um, ever. So. I think
1: a lot of these guys don't have any intention of growing beyond a certain capacity because once you get beyond a certain level, the whole game changes. Yeah. Absolutely, and and these guys are aware of that. You know, they've learned from the past. They've they've been able to figure out a way to make it work for them.
2: Yeah, well, it was like you said early too. Like th- th- there was a certain time period where people thought, okay, the only reason to gauge success is to continue to grow. Yeah. Right where there, I think there are people now that, um, you know, with all the things I've done, you know, through this podcast and through Arizona Food and Beer, talking with people. Is they're creating um, a life for their their them and their families and they're that's that's what they like you know they don't they don't want to take on this huge responsibility of you know becoming a whatever a major corporation or being tied to a major corporation like dude we got what we need Um, and I feel like that's kind of um, kind of the way things hopefully are going I think you know in in uh, in society today is people are realizing I don't need all of this this is what I want I want to you know I want to have that work-life balance and you know so hopefully that's where it's going yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. I, I feel that I, I get that that from the craft beer community is that yeah. that's what they're looking for
0: and i think the craft beer community now is far more business oriented than perhaps some of the earliest brewers were in the 80s and 90s i mean when you look at you know you know people who are brewing beer in the 80s throughout the united states whether it's arizona or what have you i mean a lot of them when they were in the market to make good beer right and that's what they were doing they were making beer but they weren't as business oriented yeah. you know and so you had to you had to bring good beer and the business model. And now I think with, with with just the saturation of the market, you have to now add innovation to yeah. that. Because yeah. you know, the, the question is, you know when we look at all the breweries that exist in Arizona, I mean, if we were to sit here and rank them all and say, okay, this is what we think is the best, this is what we think is the worst, probably my guess would be that breweries that have stuck with more traditional classic style of beers, those aren't the ones that people are appealing to. You're know more, more, more malt-forward IPAs, for example you go to California, no one wants to drink those, you know, they want the hot bomb, you know, but there's something to be said about, about that. But I think in today's market, it it is changing because you do have to be business and make good beer, but you have to push the boundaries. And I guess that's why you begin to see these things like milkshake IPAs, which I, I personally don't think you should be making those. That's my (laughs) personal opinion, but they're, they're, they're good business. And if people like them, then do
1: it. Well, I think it's a trend on finding something different. I mean, you look at, you know, back in the nineties when the Imperial beers were the thing and you had all these massive beers and it was almost a race to see who could get the highest percentage of alcohol on their beer. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, led to different things and, and eventually, you know, you got sours. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. And all the old-school brewers were, like, laughing, saying, what in the world are these guys doing, you know, because that's <laughs> the beer they always threw away. Right, they didn't they didn't want to, you know, if it was sour, it was bad beer. That's all there is to it. There's yeah. nothing else about it. But these guys learned how to develop it and create flavors and, and do something with it mm. and, and and make it more palatable. And it's, it was actually a great gateway for people that drink wine, yep. yeah, you know, introduce yeah. them to beer. Right. Yeah. And because it has, you know, I have a, a friend of ours, she doesn't like beer, but she likes sours. Yeah. And she likes ciders and, and things. And, and so it's a great way to introduce her to, to beer and things like that. Yeah. And today you've got the hazy IPA craze. Yep. You know, yeah. some people love them. I, I
0: personally like them a lot. I do too. You know? Yeah. And But there's people out there <laughs> that don't. Looks yeah. right well, I, I, I like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just... I've, I've, I'm now at the point where I'm ready to go back to my West Coast roots, you know, yeah. and I just yeah. I want to be smacked it's, in the face with some hops. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. I, I think it got a little crazy there for a while with the yeah. hops. Yeah. I mean, I've
1: had some beers yeah. where it was like, Oh man, I can't drink this. It's this yeah. just too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again,
0: but you see, that's the, you know, innovation spurs innovation. So exactly. hopefully, I mean, like I say, I may not like the milkshake IPA idea, but you know, maybe that's going to lead to the next big thing, and I'll and I'll love it. You know, it will. So.
1: It, it will, and, and it'll be interesting to see what what comes out next. You know, what yeah. the and Arizona Wilderness is kind of cool. They're they're uh, really grasp the local ingredients. You know, go out and forage and find what or work can sometimes hit, sometimes they miss. But yeah. that's the fun of being a smaller brewer that you can be able to do that and experiment with different flavors and ingredients and take those and, chances. And take those yeah. chances. Yeah. I've definitely
0: enjoyed drinking Arizona wilderness beer. I mean, for me at least out here, I think regionally they're they they're they're doing some strong stuff and they're yeah. doing it really well. And it's across the board. It's IPAs, it's Belgians, it's sours, it's what have you. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think it's funny that sour ales were seen by some folks as so novel. I mean, you just go back to Belgium and they've been baking Flemish-style yeah. ales and things for, you know, millennia, you know. Maybe not millennia, but, you know, it's it's, Long time. it's been done for a while. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, fermented sour drinks, I mean, in a lot of countries, that was the preferable drink because fermentation, you know, obviously is sort of a preservative, right? You know, it'll... And that's, you know, what people drank. And obviously sour beers was maybe by accident originally but they Mm. gained a uh learn how to enjoy it and it became their style and their region and yeah it worked
2: so let's go back again to um so craft beer um what kind of emerged in early 80s with like sam adams sierra nevada those were the 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 big players that kind of brought it is that pretty
1: accurate yeah yeah that's pretty accurate i mean the first one was um jack mcauliffe opened up new Albion you mm-hmm. know, in California. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Now, do they not consider um, Fritz Maytag with Anchor? Yeah, they
1: consider him the first craft beer. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah. I think that came in later on that people started looking at him and saying he was actually the first craft
0: brewer. Yeah. because I remember early on, yeah.
1: they were just a small regional brewery. Yeah. And I think as the people started to pay more attention to craft beer, they kind of started paying more attention to what Fritz Maytag did and realized that yeah he was a true craft beer model you know yeah. he was they were a local small brewery distributing their own beer when he first came in and brewing something that was closer to what craft beer yeah. is today than what was being produced by everybody else because everybody was light beers or lagers or and
0: it's still being brewed yeah i mean it's i drank an anchor brewed, steam yeah. common yeah. like two three days ago yeah a, i mean they they produce good. good beers yeah. yeah
1: it's my wife's favorite you yeah. know yeah. it's one of you know. I never say I have any one favorite beer. because There's <laughs> right. so many out there, but that's yeah. one
0: of hers. It's like having your favorite child, right? You can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't, you it, you right? can't pick one. That's Every right. time you there's say so I have so a <laughs>
1: favorite child, somebody <laughs> else comes along. That's right. <laughs> that's
2: <laughs> true. Yes. <laughs> so, in that, but in Arizona, it, it took a little while, though, right? Before, and you said that uh, who was the first craft beer? That was um. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: you had Banner Snatch and Dave Harvin. Yeah. And Mr. that was Dave's. in the '90s, you said. That was in 1988. 88, okay. And then you had Pendleton's open up in 88 also in, in Paradise Valley. And then you had Black Mountain that opened up in 89. And they're the ones that came out with that chili beer. Oh, I
2: remember that. Uh, yeah.
1: And that became a, a big hit. Uh, they were selling that, I think, nationally even at some point in time. Was that the Cave Creek Chili? Yeah. Sure. It, yeah. Was, it was more of a gimmick that I think that really flew because I, I just couldn't drink it. <laughs> so I've you know not a, heard good you know things about You a fan of,
0: it. The, of the spicy ales?
1: I like them if they're done right, like like in, yeah. like in today with the mole stouts and things like that or something, a little bit of spice is good, but putting it in a lager, just throwing a chili in there just doesn't do it for me.
2: Well, and that's where it, it, it was that novelty thing, because the chili was actually in the beer, It was right? in the beer. Yeah. 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 It was
1: unique. It was something different. It worked for him. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You um, know, but that became, I think, the what he was known for is that he had other beers, you know, in this restaurant down there and everything. And Yeah. But but, you know, I mean, back then, you know, brewers were still educating people on what beer was. Right. Yeah. You know, you 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 went in a restaurant, they had your amber, you know, your lager or, or blonde ale or whatever, whatever they were producing. And then they had a description of what the beer was. Yeah. You know, today you walk into a restaurant and it just has the name and style and maybe the ABV or whatever. Oh, uh, so they
2: were educating people on, like, like people didn't know what an amber was. They didn't know what an IPA was. Well, they,
1: I think they were unfamiliar with what a flavorful beer was. Yeah. You know, it, it hits you in the face. I mean, the first time I had a Sierra Nevada, I thought it was the hoppiest thing I ever drank. <laughs> oh, uh, today it's so tame. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I remember
0: thinking, good Lord, what happened to this beer? I think it went bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and and that's what you were that's what a lot of people back in the 80s were experiencing yeah and they were also you know i i mean you had a big fight you know anheuser-bush was always had those big ads and everything and these guys couldn't afford you know they were just local restaurants and breweries or whatever and yeah dave harvin had his little thing in bisbee selling beer maybe into tucson once a while or something but mostly it was down in southern arizona and okay um but you know, eventually, I think uh, you know things started to change. Probably by the 2000s, you know, things really started to change, and people started appreciate. I think that's when the the people started to write about beer and talk about beer more. You know, on the yeah. blogs and things, and yep. and that changed the whole thing.
2: Yeah, well, because before that was uh, like of the places that are open now, you have like, I think Prescott was uh, Prescott Brewing Company was like 94 or something, right? same yeah and beaches. when
1: they opened they people a lot of people thought they were crazy because they were only selling which i yeah. think today they only sell their beer their beer uh, yeah and everybody's yeah. like how could you do that you right know I mean? <laughs> yeah You're, nobody knows your beer how are you gonna be able to pull that off and they yeah. did yeah but they had a good restaurant concept and everything that so. helps too yeah yeah yeah
2: and all the places that did right for the most part i mean like uncle ben's or not Uncle. is what uncle ben or gentle ben's. gentle ben's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was an early one too right yeah yeah, yeah. One of the earliest ones, that's in Tucson. Um, Barrio, I think, has been Gentle opened. Gentle
1: Benz, is, is, that's Barrio. Barrio. When Barrio uh. opened, they moved the brewery from Gentle Benz into the Barrio Brewing Company. Gotcha. And,
0: it, and, it, and that's not just a regional phenomenon. In fact, I think in 1988, there was like 11 or 12 breweries that opened up, like major breweries like Rogue and Brooklyn and others. And I think like 9 out of 11 of them were brew pubs. Yeah. They, uh. they, you know, they had to do that. Uh, and again you you talked about full circle and you sort of see that now it's not you you see a lot of places like here with mcfate you know they 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 started off from the get-go with a pizza oven yeah and then they've expanded and they're adding food um so again it's sort of a cyclical round round right back
1: the first time i met steve actually right before that i went to meet um rob berkner over at North Mountain, and he showed me, you know, it was, back then, it was only his back door that said North Mountain. Everything else was concrete slab, (laughs) and he hadn't even built his brewery. But we went over there, met him, and we drove out down to McFate to see what he was doing, and they were laying the concrete, you know, bar. Yeah. And, uh, Brandon Richter was over there, it was, you know, April and everything, and we all kind of had fun over there, and, and, and saw what Steve was doing, and then we went out and had a beer afterwards, and but it was fun to see, you know, that was kind of the fun thing about doing this book is that I was able to visit these little breweries that were starting up and getting to know the people and seeing what they were doing and everything. And, yeah. um, unfortunately, you know, now that my book's done, I don't do that as much. Well, I go go the, to, yeah. yeah, I used to, I used to need to be at every brewery and now it's like, <laughs> God, there's still so, so many breweries I haven't hit. Yeah. 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 There's so many of them. Yeah. They're really, and they today they're
0: it's harder 100. to do yeah. that. Yeah. It's harder.
2: Maybe even over a hundred at this point, I think.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I've tried to hit them all. Yeah. I've done, quite a, I've done fairly well since I'm not yeah. from this state. I've, right. I've, done, I've done quite a few. Tried <laughs> yeah. a new one last night, uh, Bassett something. Flying Bassett. Oh, yeah. Flying Bassett. Flying Bassett. Yeah. yeah. Tried that last they night. They had a few on top, right? They had, I think, six, six or seven
2: beers yeah. on. I had their yeah. uh, smoked. There was a smoked. I don't know if they had any of it left, but it was like mm-hmm. a smoked ale. It was really good. I uh, did not see that one. Uh, but so when I moved out here in 2007, I think there was about 30 Right. So, I mean, you had, you know, Four Peaks, uh, Prescott, Barrio, all of the, all of those. Right. But then I feel like when things really started to grow was like, like around 2011 and that's when I really started getting into craft beer was um, my in-laws lived in Flagstaff. So we would always go play pool at Beaver street. Yeah. And that railhead red was like one of my favorites. Um, and then mother road opened in 2011, I think, right. Something yeah. like that. And that's when I was like, okay,
1: well, their IPA stood out back then. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a great IPA. The black IPA? black one and the regular. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: That black one was the one yeah. that I, I call it blackout IPA because you have like three of those. And you're like, whoa, with that elevation. Yeah. That'll, yeah. That one'll, <laughs> that'll catch up to you pretty quick. Um, but then that's when you started seeing all those places open because, you know, at that point, I think it was just Mother Road and... Um,
1: at Flagstaff Marine Company yeah. in
2: Beaver Street, yeah, back up in that area. Yep, then you started seeing Dark Sky, Historic, Wanderlust, and historic. wanderlust yeah. Um, but even down here in the Valley, like, there's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's great. Like, I think it's great that all these places, and, and both Steve McFate and Matt from um, uh, BRI both had the same concept of, like, you know, they want to see neighborhoods have their yeah. own their own brew pubs you know and um but then again you see an instagram for like a brewery in kingman i'm like oh i gotta make a yeah. trip up there <laughs> you know, i have all well, these ones just, close to me yeah we went
1: down to crop copper brothel and oh yeah was that uh eden what is the name of the town it's like there? outside of tucson yeah it's outside of uh patagonia over there yeah but we went out on a four-wheeling trip out there and and we were just taking back roads and I I knew that they were coming out, but I didn't I, that day. I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. And we missed a turn. I, I literally said, well, we've got to make a U-turn. I made a U-turn in front of the brewery and I saw the sign. I was like, well, holy cow, look at this. <laughs> so I said, chances? we have to stop and have a beer. We got to go yeah. in and have a drink. Yeah. And they just had open like a week or two before wow. they didn't have their own beers on tap, but it was, yeah. it was fun to be in this little town in Southern yeah. Arizona and, and now there's a brewery that you can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, so the, and
0: I think that was one of the things you'd mentioned about some of the breweries, like early on in Arizona, and the before the, you know, in the nineteenth century, that they yeah. were just kind of out, yeah. out, in the middle of nowhere, yeah. you know.
1: Because that's where the mines were. I mean, they were catering yeah. to either soldiers or miners. Yeah, that was their main thing. You know, it's because um, those guys wanted to drink. You know, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was copper
0: mines, a lot of hard work, that a lot. Of, I mean, you just go look at California in the Gold Rush and those little towns spring up with saloons and what have you. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, You get a brewery yeah. going and.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so are there are there places you frequent? Are there ones that you uh, are some of your favorites out here?
1: Yeah, I, I love Rent House. Yeah. I, I'm a Soro member, and and I think what they're doing is just awesome. Yeah, I love Arizona. Obviously, Helton does great work. Um, all the, all the breweries you they do. Know, yeah, it's it's really hard to pick uh, more because somebody has something either <laughs> food wise or beer wise or whatever that you enjoy, or the atmosphere. or Yep. You know, it, they were just doing really good beer today.
0: Yeah, you know, and I will say this that I'm not a fan of Hefeweizens and I mean, I come from beer Mecca, San Diego, right? I mean, there's just so many breweries there, but my favorite Hefeweizen comes from Pueblo Vida. Pueblo Vita's a great. That, brewery, they're yeah. knocking Tombstone's it out of the park. Brewery. Tombstone's also yeah. fantastic, but yeah. I've not been to Tombstone. I've had a lot of their beers. I've been to Pueblo Vida. I made it out there finally this past Is it a large months, facility? Though. No, it's not, not too really. big. It's, no. it's, um,
1: it's where the old Helderado Brewing Company was, yeah. which uh, Cody Sexton back, back in the day operated a um, little less successful. You know, he, he um, didn't quite make it as big. But, you know, I mean, what Matt's doing out there and
0: Weedy, I mean, they're just doing fantastic. Yeah. You had mentioned another Tombstone brewing that existed prior. I think it was in the the, the, the 80s. Well, you had, I don't remember which which time period it was, but there was like this sticker. Not a sticker, but it had like a... A label? I feel like this was yeah. in the 1980s There was or one in like the, the, the 1980s, 1990s. It was one called Tombstone.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was over right off of uh, Rural and the 101 over there. Oh, gotcha. That was Tombstone. And they were an extract brewery. They actually were a brew-your-own-beer type place.
0: Okay, brew-on-premise.
1: Yeah, kind of like a Rousseau. Yeah. Okay. And... and they had a great little restaurant their beer was a little you know wasn't wasn't extraordinary or anything by what i remember but um but it was a fun place you know back then and back then you know i mean that was yeah like you said when was that early 2000s maybe um but it was a fun place and then they got rid of the brewery they continued the restaurant and i and i don't remember what it went into back then but um that building was torn down a year or two oh. ago. Okay.
2: So. interesting. So so what's uh, what's next? What's uh, cuz you were saying you're you're moving into um, things are going electronically these days, right? Yeah. When people are reading. So are you are there any changes going on with uh, with the book or
1: No, you know, I did the book. Yeah. I mean, it was the right time, the right place, the right moment to do it. Yeah. Um I don't see myself going further with it. Okay um i'm having fun you know i took over a friend of mine was running the Canizona page on okay. facebook and i'm just kind of dabbling that every once in a while somebody will post a new can i'll i'll, I'll repost it or whatever and it kind of keeps me in touch with what's happening the craft beer things but as far as research for a new book or anything um it's it's a it's an expensive venture to get into and yeah. it's really time consuming and, and the changes today i mean everything that's happening it you know it's I'll let somebody else figure out. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe Scott
0: will take the (laughs) reins. Yeah, maybe I'll take the reins. I'll pick it up where you left off. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I
1: mentioned Dave Clark that um, he's coming out. You know, he's working with uh, Arcadia Publishing, with those little books that you see in Walgreens and everything else. Oh, yeah. And he's going to do – I think he's going to focus more on the craft beer scene. Yeah. But that's kind of cool that, you know, that somebody else is doing something – and you know maybe this book will inspire somebody else somewhere down the line to do something. Yeah. I mean I still I'm still you know part of the A1 chapter. I still I'm an editor of the newsletter. Um, every once in a while I throw an article out there for that and everything for a club and yeah. um, and it's it's enough it keeps me busy. Yeah. Besides that, I have my daughter over here I have to keep keep an eye on. She's
2: her. been great. She's been <laughs> drawing some great pictures over here. Um, I can't see exactly what they are, but they're plants talking. It looks like is that what they are?
1: It's okay. Roblox. You're familiar with that? Oh, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you're making a common book? That's
0: awesome. Sounds like something my son would do. Taking
2: <laughs> taking over her father's role of uh, being a writer, writing a book. You right? know, she nice. writes a lot. Believe it or not.
1: That's yeah, awesome. and and what I did with her was um, we took on through Shutterfly, like she did these things, and I and I printed up in there, and I I gave it to her, and it came out pretty cool. That's oh, kind of nice. fun. That's cool. <laughs> passing the torch,
2: passing the pencil,
1: right?
0: <laughs> so I want to I ask a question because as a historian, the first question that I'm always asked is, you know, who's your favorite president, right? So as a, and this is for everybody, what's, what's, the, f- what's the beer, what's the first craft beer you drank that changed your craft beer life? Do you remember that, what that beer was? I don't know. Because I, I remember, remember what mine was. Beer,
1: yeah. so. I mean, the beers that I remember back in the day that kind of, stuck out i can't say one's a favorite or anything like that the one that but yeah sierra Nevada is one of them sell Us white you know back then my one of my breakthrough beers was a wheat beer because it was something different it's it was way different than other beers right yeah um red hook mm-hmm. yeah. you know uh some pyramid back then you know there were some other the beers that i used to dabble with Locally, one of them that stood out for me back in the day was uh, Banner Snatch was one of them. Ah. Um, but we used to go to Coyote Springs. We used to go over. My, my wife and I had our first date over at um, Barley's Brew Bum. Oh, nice. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that is good.
2: <laughs> that's a, the a start to a good relationship. Right yeah. And, yeah. And
1: we, we used to at every brewery. So there's a lot of them that really produce good beers. Yeah. But I don't know if I can answer that question. Just, you know, <laughs> would, did
0: you have one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Mother Road Black IPA. That, that was the thing that, that you knew that was when yeah. you were going to drink craft beer?
2: Yeah, it was. I think it was the whole experience with just Mother Road. Um, because like I said, we would go to Beaver Street. Um, when I first moved out here, um, my cousin had told me, he's like, oh, dude, you got to try Shiner So Shiner Bach, because back home, we drank like uh, Natty Light and just, because for years I said, I don't like beer. I don't like beer. It's, and I, what I tell people now is if you say you don't like beer, you just haven't found the right one. Yeah. You know, So I'm like, I don't like beer. So I, I tried Shiner Bock and Shiner Bock was good. I'm like, okay, wow, beer can actually taste different than just this crappy white you know, light lager. Or yeah, pills like or yellow water, whatever Yeah, you call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we started going to Beaver Street, and I really liked that Railhead Red. But you couldn't – it was different because you knew they made it there, but you couldn't see where they made it, right? And then Mother Road opens up, and you, you were in the brewing facility, you know, yeah. and you could smell as, you know, as we used to describe it as, as potatoes, right? My wife still thinks, she's like, oh, it smells like potatoes. I'm like, oh, it smells they're mashing. It, it smells, smells like oatmeal. B- <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that Mother Road Black IPA was like, okay, that's what kind of hooked me into the craft beer. So at that point, then anywhere I was going to go, like if we were going to go on vacation in Minnesota, I'm like, we got to stop at these breweries. Yeah. You know, so yeah, Mother Road Black IPA was that one. Sweet. Yeah.
0: And mine was my very first beer ever. I was the good boy. I didn't drink before I was 21. Wow. And the very first beer I ever had was, uh, was a Sam Adams Boston Lager. Yeah. So I, I, my dad you know, used to drink Budweiser and Miller MGD and stuff, and i like, all right. Uh, and I, I, you know, I went through a phase where I drank that stuff too, but I always, yeah. man, there's just there's something about that, and I got on a Sam Adams kick for many, many years, and then once I got introduced, it was around 2011. Um, I had been let go of a job, and I had something—I had, had tons of time—and so I found a local brewer. I was like, "Hey, do you want help doing sales?" And so once I got into that, that's when I really began to to really spiral into the craft beer scene. But I had always known that you know beer did not have to be MJ, the Miller yeah. Lights of yeah. yeah. the deal, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know, I know Sam Adams is a very large brewery now. I know that they 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 there's controversy there, and I don't want to put my foot in there, but you know six. 6 million barrels a year, 4 million. That's a lot of beer, you know? Yeah. Uh, But they definitely, you know, Jim Cook got me on beer, so. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, today, you know, most of the beer drinks that have become of age don't know anything but craft beer. You know, they didn't have to go through drinking the Budweiser's and anything. So to them, what's going to be their breakthrough beer? (laughs) That's true. That is true. That'll be interesting to find out.
0: That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right, it's a... The paucity of, or there's not a paucity of beers. There's just, there, you know, especially you go down here into Phoenix and you got. What six or seven breweries? Oh yeah, yeah. growing up of what's, age. What's the one's going to strike a chord? You know? Yeah, yeah. I guess it'll be which style got you on to uh, yeah, yeah. got you into the craft <laughs> All beer. Oh, right.
2: well, for years I only thought that there were IPAs, and then I discovered saison. <laughs> like ah, okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there is no other s- other than IPA. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I mean, there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's a red ale? No one drinks that. <laughs> right.
2: So uh, well, Ed, thanks. I really appreciate this. And Scott, hey, thanks for thank joining. You. Oh,
0: thank you for having me. Yeah,
2: this was this was awesome. So. Um, your book can be found. I mean, I, I, I got mine on Amazon. Um, you could probably get by it through your website. You have a website as well.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of backing away. Like I mentioned that I'm back yeah. away from selling books. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have a few copies, but probably the best place, um, either at the beer festivals. I'm always at the guild festivals, okay. you know, a strong beer festival. Um, I'll be at real wad and woody. Nice. I'll okay. have a few books over there. Um, but Amazon. Yeah. And if anybody wants a signed copy, you know, reach out.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. You're gonna sign Scott's copy?
0: Yes, he sure. Is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I yeah,
2: thought some at Scott's No Beer Company too, right? Yeah. They have yeah they, in the and cage. Mother
1: Road had it for a while. I don't know if they still
0: have some copies, but Okay.
2: Nice. Yeah. Definitely, definitely worth it to purchase it. I mean, pictures alone. I'm a big pictures guy.
0: Oh, <laughs> so, definitely. And yeah. I, and it, to be quite honest, I was a little surprised at the size of the book when it came in, because I was expecting a smaller book. But it was pleasant surprise because it's it's very the pictures are, are worth their weight by themselves. I mean, yeah, it's just fantastic you. to be able to do that. I mean, you, you clearly spent a lot of time digging up content, uh, obviously yeah, was, the information, but those pictures are phenomenal. I was pretty passionate about, you know,
1: making it right. And, um, you know, the format, actually, Jerry Gantt had some responsibility in getting to this format because um, the Arizona Crafters Guild put in a, a nice sum of money to be able to get this book out. And uh, originally, I was thinking eh, it might be paperback. It could be something. I had a totally different vision of what the book were going to be, you know, because I knew it was expensive to put a, a big book out. Yeah. But when they stepped in, and a lot of other local breweries thankfully pitched in some money, and we were able to raise enough to get it in this format, and um, it's a lot different, a lot better. And I'm glad it came out this way because this it's something that's going to stand the test of time compared to what it would have been if it would have been a paperback book. Yeah, that's true. It's so, like a coffee table style book, too. Right? Yeah, U of A did a fantastic job. And they came out with that cover. And when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, that's not at all what I thought it was going to look like. <laughs> but I tell you what, I, I trusted them that they know what they're doing because they're in that business. Yeah. Well,
0: and the title's fantastic, too. I mean, yeah. that, that a century of beer in the Grand Canyon State, is just, it really sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, Ed. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate this. Scott, thank you. You're welcome. YouTube channel. right, Beers and Buddies. Beers
0: and Buddies. Check us out. Please follow us, like us, and send us beer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> always a good
2: thing, right? <laughs> Me too. Um, eric at tapthataz.com. You can now send you my shipping address for those beers.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, but yeah, Tapthataz podcast on Instagram, um, tapthataz.com, azfoodandbeer.com, and azfoodandbeer on Instagram and Facebook as well. So keep drinking good Arizona beer. Get this book, look at the pictures, and always remember stay awesome.